welcome back to Racing It Out. We have a very exciting episode for you guys this week. We have a little guest that we'll get into shortly, but we have some stuff to recap first, Todd. Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking with our guest. She's a really interesting racer, and if you don't follow her on social channels, you'll want to after our little conversation with her. I think it's going to be very fun. Mm -hmm. Some good racing since our last episode was recorded a couple of weeks ago. Most recently, you were at Bristol, which is a fantastic facility. If you have it never been, insane. it is something else. Was... Did you get the feeling when you walk in? I don't know where you went in, but if you walk in and you just kind of this enormous, as they call it, the last great Coliseum well, surrounds you. And this is what the, this is what it is. Yeah. So we came in turn three, there's two tunnels at Bristol. There's one in turn four. Is that turn four? Yeah. Turn four and turn three, right by where the media center is. Right. And we came in turn three because that's where our parking lot was. And you really got that feeling as you like went in and came up around the um, like the corner, just like all this light opens up and it's just like, oh, this place is massive. It is an enormous facility. It's it's something else to see cars going around that facility. And when the crowd fills in, there's just a, a vibe and an energy mm -hmm. and an enthusiasm that is that is something special. So you got to see cars on track you got to be there for the big corporate announcement too that mm -hmm. we've been anxiously and eagerly awaiting and it's nice that Pinty's has signed on they will be the title or entitlement sponsor or however partner however you want to phrase it for five more years for NASCAR in Canada it's fantastic news for everyone yay we love Pinty's <laughs> it, it not only provides great racing it's also delicious so that yes, it's yes. I heard that um <laughs> Pinty's chicken wings are on sale this week so I'm about to go and buy a bunch there you go so so also as part of the announcement our mutual friend LP Dumoulin was mm -hmm. there as part of because he is the defending Pinty's champion from last season and got his third championship ring. That was he such a did. nice, nice, uh, a, a nice touch to, to have. And the great photos yeah. of him wearing all three is perfect. Oh yeah. I, um, so the whole purpose of me going was to film LP's journey. So for those of you who are NASCAR Pinty's fans, make sure to tune in on Pinty's social channels later this week. We will have his whole vlog coming out. It'll be super cool. Um, but I followed him all the way from Trois Rivières. Nice. And we were in Trois Rivières, and he's like, "Should I bring the rings?" And I'm like, "People are going to want the other rings. Bring the rings." Good call. No, that was a good. Like, uh, that was a good. Call. I'm like, I want it. Joel wants it, and I'm sure everyone else is going to want it. So, and and how was the the rest of the weekend experience with the racing? It was it was a little uh, a little brisk at uh, Bristol, if I recall. It was cold, and North, I went to North Carolina after, and it was cold. That's and then think going south. Now, did you pack accordingly? Bring layers, multiple yeah. coats. You were you were okay with it? Oh yeah, I had my big like NASCAR officials like sweater, so I oh, was okay. like bundled up in that. Um, I got to watch the race in the Pinty's suite with the Pinty's folk and like Anthony Spiteri. Well, Anthony isn't with Tony or isn't with Pinty's anymore, but he was there as a guest. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to chat with him and then nice. Jen Booth from Pinty's. Um, and then all a bunch of the drivers from the Pinty's Knights of Thunder um, dirt series here in Ontario were also there. They gave the command at the truck race. Um, so it was super cool just kind of like hang out in there and watch the race. It was a different experience for sure. Yeah. Um, but I have a very interesting food Good. Thing to tell you about. Lay it on me. Um, I had a barbecue Sunday. Okay, so you better explain and tell me exactly what <laughs> is in or involved in a barbecue Sunday. 
so the barbecue sunday was um a bush beans only thing like so barbecue menu beans? item so barbecue yeah beans? so it was so it, it was actually it was in a cup like a, just a red yeah. plastic cup it was massive yeah um with a bunch of coleslaw on the bottom a crap ton of bush beans i think it was like their one of their sweeter flavors yeah. crap ton of bush beans Oh, crap load of pulled pork and barbecue sauce yeah, on top see, that's what I and want. a giant pickle in it oh so this is basically uh, a meal or of, mm -hmm. of brisket or barbecue what and but it's just in a self-contained cup for easy consumption oh, yeah. and transport that's a smart yep. idea it's a smart idea and it was good because you you start off with this like pulled pork and it's like oh yeah this it was good pulled pork yeah oh, you're just like you're in Tennessee. chewing on it and you're like this is great well, you told me last episode I have to get barbecue yeah. while I'm in Tennessee. So I did. I got it in a very convenient package. That's I I am not familiar with with uh that that form of uh of presentation, but that's a smart I mean, idea. It wasn't the most appetizing form of presentation. A lot of my <laughs> friends were messaging me being like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, barbecue sat Sunday. Like, why are you questioning about eat it like a Sunday? Of, yeah. Thank you. But the interesting part of it was it gets all the way, you're like eating through all of it. And it's a lot of beans, Yeah. Um, which that was my only quarrel with it. It was like, I gave it a solid eight and a half out of 10. Like it was good. Made my stomach upset after because yeah, beans. But um, the only thing was that it was a lot of beans. I got to the point where I was about, probably about halfway through and I was getting kind of like bored of it. Um, but once you get to the bottom, you get this really nice, refreshing creaminess from the barbecue sauce and the beans like the bean sauce mixing with the cold and the slaw yeah see yeah, I, it was nice. here's my thing is i always try to just don't don't give me uh, uh all the other sides i want the i want the brisket i want the slaw i'm the carnivore mm -hmm. that wants all meat few some beans that's okay i'm not a fan of slaw at all though i don't i, I don't care for uh coleslaw it, it depends there's the coleslaw you get that's just like chunky and just like all cut yeah. up and stuff like that. I can't stand that. Doesn't do it for me. Um, but like the fresh cut, like cabbage with like the tangy, like sauce and stuff like that. That's like really like, um, like open and fresh, almost like a salad, like right. kind of texture. Right. I really like that kind of coleslaw. Like St. Hubert does it like that. Um, most barbecue places do it like that as well. So that's the coleslaw I'll really like. And I guess that's it. It's just, it's the, it's the light, it's the fresh, it's the, the kind of slaw, shredded slaw that you would have on a different kind of food, which would be like a fish taco, just something that's light yes, and bright and refreshing. Exactly. It's like that kind of slaw. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, that's just the important part. So, okay. Yeah, now, distinction. okay. So we've talked about Bristol. Uh, I'll do the tease. We'll talk a little bit about Talladega coming up, but I think we should get to our guest first. Cause I know yes. that we're going to talk about food with her as well. Oh yes. We have a couple of great food discussions with her as well. So uh, yeah, we'll just scoot on over to that. So Todd, we have our first guest on today. I'm thrilled to have her. It's very exciting to, to have Sam join us and it's going to be, I think a very fun discussion. Yes. We have Miss Samantha Tan joining us today, a fellow Canadian. How are you, Sam? Good. Hi guys. How are you guys? Very well. Do you, do you prefer Sam or Samantha or do you care? Um, I don't really care about Samantha, maybe. Samantha, oh, no, that's fine. That's, <laughs> right. uh, that's why I like to ask. In fact, this is a discussion I have with racers sometimes is I always, if, if their name has, you know, seven or eight consonants together or something like that has an unusual spelling, I always go to people and say, please pronounce your name for me so I can get it right. So, because I, I like to, to do that and make sure that I find your preference. So Samantha, it will be. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So, so you're, go ahead, Caitlin. Oh, well, for those of you who don't know Samantha, she's a fellow Canadian, like I said, like us from Stouffville, Ontario. She's raised all over the U.S. and all over the world as well, is currently setting her sights on Lamont, I believe. Yes. Very exciting. Um, she is a co-driver and co-owner of ST Racing. Um, would you like to give our listeners a little bit more of a background on what you race? Yeah, sure. So this year I am racing the all-new BMW M4 GT3, which is the top level of sports car racing. I believe it's 590 horsepower. Um, again, super new car. It's incredibly fast. Um, I've been racing GT4s for the past four years, so this was a big step up for me, but I believe that we've adapted pretty quickly. <laughs> You seem to have been having some regular success through the early part of your career, which is sometimes unusual. I find it interesting, too, is that you are not just a driver or a co-driver. It's your team. And how involved and how busy does that make you in terms of the day-to-day -day operations? Yeah, I mean, when, I, when we first started the team in 2017, I was actually still in college. So it was this crazy kind of balance for me between school, racing, and obviously starting this race team with my dad. Um, so in the beginning, I didn't really take that big of a central role just because obviously my parents wanted me to focus on college. Um, but as, after I graduated, which was in 2020, I've now you know taken control of most of the marketing, some of the logistics. Um, but again, still kind of main focus is being a driver um, because, as you know, driver duties during the weekend can get pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what did you take in school? Uh, I was an economics major. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want to kind of say this, but I mean, I'm not really using it too, too much in, the, in my current job. But I mean, I think college has definitely set me up for kind of like the discipline and time management that is so critical in racing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And your parents were very education comes first before school or before racing, weren't they? Yes. Yes. I'd be like, I feel like most parents are like that as well. Um, school has definitely taken the priority for the majority of my life, but I'm super, super thankful to my parents for allowing me to pursue racing as a career. I mean, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, but again, yeah, they've always been super supportive as long as I could get my school worked out on time. <laughs> well, and that was that was part of the choice that you made too, as I understand, is you left Canada to go to school in the United States, which was a challenge and requires a lot of logistics, but it also opened you up to more opportunities to race year round. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, one of the main reasons why I moved to California was the weather. <laughs> um, and, you know, just being able to go to the track year round. I mean, obviously in Canada, there's four seasons and, you know, the, the on-track season basically starts in like April and ends around September, October. So it was a very like kind of limited time for me to be able to practice. And so, yeah, definitely moving to California opened up those extra opportunities for me, but also the weather and the beaches obviously have a plus as well. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of both of you. So <laughs> totally done with the Canadian winters. I've had my fair share. <laughs> I first found you on social channels, on whether it's Instagram or, or you know, I guess a little bit on Twitter and, and Facebook too, but much more Instagram now. One of the things that I find 
interesting and enjoyable about following Samantha on social is that you get all the behind the scenes racing stuff at the track, but you also get some of the other stuff, whether it's, I, I remember, I forget if it was a, if it was an Insta or, or TikTok post a while ago, you were, you had a moment at an event and you just needed kind of a break and you pulled out your sketchbook and you started sketching, or we'll see video of you practicing piano and keyboards. I love that you have other interests besides an all-consuming racing career. No, I appreciate that. And I definitely want to show that aspect of my life more on my social channels. But yeah, I also, I play piano. I've been playing piano since I was like four years old. Um, And I do art a bit on the side when I have time, but it's kind of like evolved into part of my race ritual. Um, If I do have the time before a race, which is kind of rare, I'll sit down and, you know, pull out my sketchbook, as you said, and try to draw something because it really puts me in this calm state of mind that I need to be in before I get into the race car. I mean, I personally struggle with a lot of nervousness, a lot of anxiety before I get in the car. So this really just helps set the tone. Um, Yeah. It's awesome that you're super transparent with that on social media because it's something that I feel like a lot of drivers in the past across like a lot of series haven't really opened up about and when they do they're faced with a lot of backlash but going back to what Todd said on your like sharing behind the scenes parts of racing I noticed the other day you posted a how you clean your helmet video (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean it was super funny I remember like trying to figure out how to get rid of the makeup on my helmet and like regrettably it took me seven years to figure this out (laughs) Um, so I thought you know this is a great thing for me to share with my fans for other people who you know wear makeup under their helmet and like struggle with yeah the baked on helmet into the or baked on makeup in the helmet I mean, you know <laughs> for all you know you're the first girl female driver to figure out how to do this and you've just opened up a whole like path for other female drivers to be like oh so I can fix this I don't have to purchase a new helmet exactly <laughs> okay so explain it to me a little bit because I don't I don't wear makeup frequently unless it's for a usually for a television requirement but the is is this a a common thing that makeup gets caked on the helmet and I didn't know that you would wear makeup or full makeup before each session yeah so me personally I feel like makeup again is like part of my race ritual every morning it just kind of again sets the tone if I get my winged liner on point like I feel so good about myself it just like kind of gives me a bit more confidence not that I need it to feel confident (laughs) but you know you know what I mean it's like when you put on the outfit that makes you feel amazing kind of vibe um so I do wear makeup under my helmet and unfortunately you know it's pretty it's pretty tight when you pull it on so the Mm -hmm. foundation kind of gets rubbed off a little bit but you know the eye makeup always stays on fleek (laughs) will you do a full face of makeup like foundation contour concealer all of that for pre-race or um, just do the eyes and like it, this area yeah no it depends it depends if I know that like I'm doing a bit more media that day I'll definitely try to do a full face of makeup <laughs> um so then my next question then is how many helmet socks do you go to if you have a full <laughs> face of makeup on true no I, I really bring like three or four to a race weekend <laughs> see but yeah you make an interesting point though that it helps you just to get in the right mental state. And I don't know if people understand enough that as much as a a physical sport 
and a, a talent reflex sport, there is a, a significant mental aspect to motorsports as well. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, driving is like 85% mental. You know, if you're not on top of your mental game that day, you most likely will make small mistakes. And I think like getting into that zone before a race is extremely important because if you're not feeling confident about your skills, like it's going to show on track hundred percent. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've read a bunch of background on you prior to having you come on here as a guest. And in terms of your mental approach, if you will, I, I, I like the, the philosophy that you approach things with that even if you try something and fail, it's not bad. It's because you've learned something and you'll, you'll improve your performance going forward. And again, I think that's a life skill that not enough people understand and take with them. No, yeah, I think like racing has taught me so many life lessons. Those like that idea of being okay with failure is another thing. Like you take a risk and like the worst thing that can happen is that you fail. But in that experience, you always learn something. And in racing, it's like, that's so important to take every experience as a learning experience because that ultimately is what makes you successful. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing, especially for a lot of young drivers to or just young people to remember, because I feel like in society, there's so much pressure put on on just succeeding and not the little moments that lead up to that success. So especially in racing, when it's like, you know, you have a bad day and you have like a like a mechanical failure on the car. Mm-hmm. And it's like nothing that even happened to you, but it's like you still take that knowledge and push it towards like becoming better as a team as well. No, exactly. And and kind of going back to like the Instagram transparency, like I definitely, I definitely value authenticity and I've been trying to show that more on my page. It's like racing to a lot of people seems like these highlights, just, just highlights. Right. But I want to show that there are bad days in racing again, like the days that you aren't feeling your best, you don't perform your best or like something happens to the car and like exactly how you deal with those moments. Right. And how you overcome those challenges, I think ends up defining your successes. It, it, it makes sense too, because even if you're a highly successful racer, it doesn't matter the discipline, doesn't matter the series, you're only going to win a small percentage of the time. You have to take the knowledge that you gain and you have to take the smaller victories, if you will, if you started deep in the field and you had a good day moving forward. But again, and again, that, that applies to so many different aspects of life, just as, as well as racing. For sure. And I think, for example, my race in Dubai earlier this year, the 24 hour of Dubai is a good example of that. I mean, we got the car from the factory out of the container, I think like three or four days prior to the event. So the team only had two days to really prep the car before we were already like testing. And we finished the race. Um, Obviously coming from last year's six championship titles, we had very high expectations for ourselves. And I think we finished P5 in class for my car, finished P5 in class. And, you know, I've took some time after that race to be like, why do I feel so disappointed? (laughs) But I had to really like think like, look, we literally finished a 24 hour race. That's a feat in itself in a completely brand new car. This was like the world debut of the M4 GT3 as well. So that again, taking those small victories and yeah. (laughs) But it's also super important too, to like, like you said, reflect and check in with yourself and be like, why do I feel disappointed about this? It's like, yes, this was a huge feat. And like taking 
inventory of those small victories and then also checking in with yourself of like why do I feel upset about this that's also super important as well yeah for sure and I think that's something a lot of racers struggle with is that pursuit of perfection 100% of the time always trying to better yourself always trying to be at the top and you really have to like sit back sometimes on the days that you don't win and really think like look I tried your best and that's always enough do you consider yourself a role model yet we're getting there. I feel like I personally like to downplay my achievements a lot. <laughs> That's something I still struggle with, but Humility. I do. Yeah. I do see the impact that I've had on a lot of my fans and a lot of people who do come up to me during race weekends to say things like, look, you've inspired me to get into racing or you inspired me to pursue my passions. And that means so much to me. <laughs> um, so I do think, I do think I'm a role model and you know, it is hard not hard for difficult for me to say that a little bit, but we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> well, another thing you seem to be such a strong advocate for is the, um, the stop Asian hate movement. What experience have you had? Cause like we said in the intro, you've traveled all over the U S and all over the world. What experience have you had at the racetracks or just in life in general, if you don't mind sharing with that movement and with, racism at racetracks for sure so starting with the stop Asian hate uh, movement I remember I was in Mugello last year when all the news and headlines were flying around about elderly Asian people being attacked like just out of nowhere and it broke my heart because you know I see I have old Asian grandparents obviously and to think about them ever being in that situation just absolutely terrified me. So I got a few of my friends together to host a fundraiser for the movement and went towards a hate is a virus, which, you know, they put the money into helping elderly uh, Asian communities and other kind of protective services. Um, we raised $33,000 for wow. hate is a virus, um, which meant so so much to me again just to give back to the community but also again trying to put trying to help out those kind of same feelings I had which I'm sure a lot of people also experienced and kind of moving back into how I've navigated the motorsports industry as an Asian woman I mean growing up when I first started racing uh, I think I was like 16 years old I didn't have any role models that looked like me you know and kind of I lived with that stereotype of Asians are bad drivers for a very long time. It kind of like took a little bit of space in my mental um, for a while. And, you know, not having any kind of like counter examples to that was very, very difficult. But I think living at the intersection of race and gender and living as an Asian woman has given me this like tremendous opportunity to define success on my own terms. Uh, because I think that, you know, one of the greatest pleasures in life is doing something that people say you can't. And, oh, yeah. and being an, sorry, and, and being an inspiration for others to, to do mm -hmm. so in the future. The, the, the cliche phrase of, if you see it, you can be it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I think like representation again is like so, so important um, for me personally. I don't know if you guys watched Shang-Chi when it came out, but oh my gosh, the yes. way that made me feel... <laughs> The way that I felt so empowered and I felt, you know, so proud of like who I was, I want to do the same for others. I want to lead by example. I want people to feel deeply proud of who they are and feel comfortable with their identity. 
Right now you get to be that example in motorsports for younger female Asian drivers, or even just like young, like Asian girls that want to come up into racing and they see you and they're like, that that's me on the racetrack that like, she looks like me. I get to go, I can go and do that. So you get to be the example you never had to show other people, which is amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. And that makes me kind of like emotional to hear. Well, that's that's good because we're we're a okay with emotions and being mm-hmm. emotional here. So feel free. And do you let yourself think further down the road of, all right, I've achieved this so far, and I've been successful. How far can I go from here? Do you have specific goals or more broader goals? Yeah. So I mean, as we said earlier, my ultimate goal is to be the first Asian woman to win Lamar been a goal of mine for many many years um but after that I mean I have I want to help younger racers break into the industry um with my obviously since I own my own race team we have kind of like the full ladder system that BMW has we have the M2CS racing which is like the touring class we have GT4 cars and we have the new GT3 cars uh, also just started my own esports team yeah, so that's right trying to bridge Ooh. that gap between you know sim racing and real racing and just yeah again offer that ladder system for young talented drivers because I know I understand how difficult it is to get into racing and that's probably one of the top questions I receive is you know how do I get started um, and so we want to offer something like a young driver academy in the future um, so that's one of my goals. That's amazing. Well, we'll we'll have you back to to make that announcement when yes. you're ready to uh, yes. officially declare the uh, <laughs> the academy. But we have to because Caitlin and I often end up talking about food as part of this yes. this podcast. We we have to ask you since you've been able and had the good fortune to travel the world and have so many different racing experiences in different series in different countries. Do you have a memorable food experience? Hopefully, a positive one at one of these stops. <laughs> Oh man, there's so many. Again, like I've been so fortunate to be able to travel the past year, even like during the pandemic. So, you know, Italy is definitely one of the top experiences I've had. There's this little restaurant next to the Ferrari factory called Montana's. Um, It's family owned, operated. It's still like the old Nonna um, cooking in the back there. Um, And literally best pasta I've ever had. (laughs) I could eat like plates of their pasta. <laughs> <Hard loaded>. Good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I think another experience that I have had is we hosted our own kind of little paddock party back in 2019 at Coda. And we had this huge, like kind of like barbecue and like smoked brisket yes. um, thing. And we invited everyone, like the entire paddock fans, SRO officials, other teams. And it was just an incredible time being able to, I guess, like have the camaraderie between everybody and enjoy some really good barbecue. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And Texas, you're in Texas. So Texas is going to be badass no matter what, but uh, that's one of the best things about racing is just getting to like travel all over the place. But like hearing that you had like a giant paddock party, (laughs) just sounds like so much fun. Okay. So we we get invited to the next one, right? Of course. Of course. Come by. (laughs) Okay. You got it. This has been awesome. So, uh, Mm -hmm. Samantha, thank you. We wish you much success in the future. And we'll be following you 
follow Samantha on her social channels. She's definitely worth it for the behind the scenes yes. stuff and for all the food talk. So thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really glad we got a chance to talk to Samantha about her her racing career and her interests and her life outside of racing. I found her on social channels. I think she's really interesting. I think she's really inspirational in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that she's definitely someone to watch moving forward. I think she's going to be a really interesting story. 100%. I was super surprised to hear that she started her race team with her dad when she was in college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, a, like, that's early. <laughs> It, it put me it put me into perspective of like what was I doing in my last two years of college? I, I don't think we I don't think we should talk about that. But I I, I no. find it exciting and hopeful that younger generations do not see age as a barrier. It's just well mm -hmm. I haven't done this, but so what? It's it's kind of something that I thought of years ago in my younger life. It's just doesn't mean I can't do it because I haven't done it yet. And even if mm -hmm. you fail, you learn something along the way. It doesn't mean you'll be better in the future. Right. And that was her whole philosophy as well is you, your failures are only avenues to success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. very. And well that's put. a huge thing is you can fit your, accept the fact that you're going to fail throughout your life. And as long as you see those failures as a way to progress and build what you want, then you're you're going to be successful in anything you put your mind to because failures, if you have the wrong mindset going into it with them can play you down very hard. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I wanted to ask you about Talladega, which took place this past weekend, second mm -hmm. um, restrictor plate race of the NASCAR season. I have kind of a, a love dislike for this kind of racing on the super mm -hmm. speedways. It is, it will make you hold your breath because of the close competition at times, but I also get frustrated with it sometimes because if someone makes the smallest of mistakes, it can wipe out six, eight, 10 other drivers, great day who had no mm -hmm. responsibility. And that's what I find frustrating about it. I, I agree there is that frustration with it. Um, for the record, I thought this weekend's race at Talladega was amazing. It was, was I know there's good, gonna yes. be, yes. I know there's going to be a lot. There was a couple of those frustrating moments. I know with Joey Logano, when he got turned and took out a couple of cars and even he and his, um, after he was released from the care center, he even was kind of like, Dega, I don't like it, right. but it is what it is. And I think a lot of those drivers and the manufacturers and the teams really have that mindset going into this restrictor plates now of it just is what it is. And, and, and you're right. And that's the, is this the best it can be, I guess, is what I'm always, right. always looking for. I'm always looking for, okay, how can we make it, it better? I love that you have cars close together. You have people competing for positions, one through 40, practically, in terms of, of the mm -hmm. customer. I, I like that part of it. It's the frustration part of it that the smallest of mistakes can wipe out yeah. half the field. And I don't, I don't know what the solutions are or if there, if there even is a solution. And, and maybe that's just the way is that, you know what, sometimes you just have to accept that this is, this is going to happen. It's the, you know, it's, it's the way it is, but it, it's breathtaking to watch, especially watching it in it person is. at times. Oh man. That's why I love Daytona so much is because it's like getting to watch those cars go by a turn three wide is just like, just the sound and the roar of the engines is just beautiful. Yes, it is. And but 
there are those moments where, and I know, especially in years past with the former model, I found it was very interesting watching it this year with the new, the new car model, because it, I found there was a lot less single file racing. Yes. It's, it was a lot more together in a pack. <laughs> it's a group of 10 or 20 like, or 30. Yeah. Yeah. I found cars were able, like it, when they like split up to pit, I found the cars were able to find the pack a lot better. Um, but if you were that single car that got lost in the pack, you were done for unless yes. a caution came out. Yes. So that's, that's my, uh, my only, uh, uh, review or caveat quarrel. on it. It's not, it's not yeah. even a, a quarrel. It's just, is there, is there mm -hmm. a better way? And I don't think it's ever bad to, to be asking that sort of question. No, a hundred percent. And I think it might get to that one day where it's like, maybe these restrictor plates are still fabulous the way we love them, but you know, they don't completely destroy like, cause you have those smaller teams that come in mm -hmm. and you wreck a car at Daytona or Talladega. I mean, that could be an entire, uh, you're building a whole new car. Perhaps. Although Chastain apparently used the same car at, from Coda at Talladega, oh, really? which I find really interesting. interesting. And if that's the case, I, th I think that's a very good story for, for NASCAR. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of NASCAR, because we're, we're doing this today, I, I want to mention we are days away from the Pinty series starting. I know there's a million things that you and I both have to do oh, uh, before to get ready, but I am super excited about it to get going. I've got a race before that at, uh, at Penticton Speedway, the uh, Ooh, Western right. Rattler 300. So I'm going, I'm going out for that. And then it's back and we're, we're full on with the Pinty series and super excited. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not sure exactly when this podcast is dropping, but there's driver news. There's driver news that's coming. Oh, thank you for giving me a heads up, Todd. Well, I that's and all you know I'm gonna I say. Like my heads um, up. There's more not driver news that's coming, and it's yeah. I can also confirm there are more. There is a lot more driver news coming. I have a silly season article that I'm currently in the works for for NASCAR.ca. <laughs> oh, I gotta look for and that. I'm like this. I'm like I'm gonna hope. I'm like oh, I'll publish it this week, and I'm like no. I'm going to have to completely edit it and add to it. And I'm like, this is going to come out later. All right. So we'll, <laughs> it's like, well, that's good. But, but the good news is there's news, mm -hmm. there's excitement, there's anticipation for, for the new season. And, and both of us are really looking forward to it. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be a very stacked field this year. And it looks like, man, it just looks like the season's going to be awesome for me. It's like, I feel race season starts for me a week before the first race. So for me, it's two weeks out, I think. There's this up, there's a motor, I'll be at Motorama this weekend. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So if you guys see me, come say hi, I'll be around. Um, but I'll be, there's Motorama and then there's the first weekend of May. And then that week after the first weekend of May is pre-race week. Away we go. And for me, that's race season. Race season starts the day, the week before the first race of the season. So two weeks, it's coming close. Let's go. Okay. Uh, All right. Disclaimer. Yes, go ahead, run with it. The views, opinions, ideas, suggestions, and general opinions expressed in this podcast are solely representative of Todd and Caitlin and do not represent those of any of the views of any of the people, sanctioning bodies, production companies, or other entities that may or may not employ one or both of us in the future. How's that? Very on top, perfect episode. <laughs> Thank you everyone for watching. Um, please go give us a like, follow, and subscribe everywhere you find your podcasts. Um, we're basically everywhere now. So 
Um, yeah, go give us a like and a listen and we will see you guys in the next episode.